Well, we say good morning again. Good to see you guys today. And uh, we continue our worship by uh, opening up to the book of Exodus. We happen to be in chapter 3. And we're talking about the Deliverer. It's almost like a Deliverer series because uh, I think in every title we've used Deliver. I, I don't think at first I had that in mind, and that's just kind of the way it's worked out. So uh, until we change it, which could be next week or the week after. But really, that's what it is. It's about the Deliverer, and we think of Moses. And Moses is the Deliverer, but the true Deliverer is God Himself, isn't He? And uh, that's really what uh, Moses is typifying here. And what we're going to be looking at today is that God has some uh, plans for Moses. only thing is, Moses just can't believe this can be pulled off. So he objects to this great God. And God is going to show him some things and tell him some things about who he is. And uh, that way, Moses will say, yes, I'll do it, Lord. But it's going to take five objections before Moses even starts getting this. And even then, I'm not so sure he really does. But uh, he typifies, I think, all of us uh, sometimes when we uh, don't necessarily know what God is uh, doing in our lives. And uh, then we look at uh, what He has already done. And He's a faithful God. And uh, it's about trusting Him, isn't it? So anyway, the uh, 11th verse is where we're at. And we'll go from 11 through the end of the chapter. Uh, When it gets to chapter 4, it'll continue on. But uh, you all know when we finish a chapter, we have to stop right there. That's just, that's just the way it is, no matter what. I don't know. That's probably The reason is, is probably that takes up most of the time, and by that time we'd be going into our second hour, right? Okay, verse 11 says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses has been in the desert for 40 years. He probably was thinking he was a lost cause as far as uh, doing anything for his people. Uh, He has been out there, and it seems like God has forgotten about him. He thought he was supposed to be some kind of deliverer, but he did it in his own way. And now I think he's probably given up on that after 40 years, wouldn't you think so? A trying time. Then appears this burning bush, which we talked about last week, and with actually the voice of God speaking directly to him. Immediately, there's God's voice. And that got Moses' attention. Without a doubt, this is something to, uh, to look at. What is, uh, what is happening here? So God told him that he was going to send him to Pharaoh and he would certainly be delivering the sons of Israel out of Egypt, out of their bondage, into, into Canaan. And that's what God is going to promise here as we look at this today. That's God's call. And by the way, it's not God's suggestions here. God is calling him, and when God calls, it will happen. Uh, People might uh, balk at his call and stall around, but if God is sovereign and he's going to get his plan done, he will use uh, the people that he has in mind for that particular purpose. And that's what he's going to do. It's already taken 80 years, but God is patient. And so Moses is, is now ready, whether he knows it or not. This is God's plan, and he's going to be a tool that God's going to use. No matter what Moses is thinking here. He's, Moses is going to be the tool, the very instrument. So the deliverer, even though it's actually God, and, and we know that, uh, is going to be Moses uh, who's going to deliver, but it's really God working through him. Moses is going to be a, the glove. You know, the power of God is the, is the hand there doing all that. But at the same time, he, he's, a, he's going to be a vessel. So God wants His people to be instruments. He wants them to be vessels. just wants them to be available for use while He is really doing the action. God is doing it. So as we examine this chapter 3 and then go into chapter 4 next week, we're going to see that Moses did not hear God right. 
as he kept asking and and uh, coming up with excuses. God kept telling him that he's going to do the work. I am going to do the work, God is saying. Moses needed to know that because he thinks it's going to be his strength and power doing this. And he knows he's not going to be able to pull it off if that be the case. So God uses people as tools. We know that. Moses thinks he's the one here um, to do this work, or at least he had thought that before, and now he doesn't know. And it takes some time to understand the will of God. And like I say, Moses has been waiting all this time, and now it, it seems like whenever he is at his most useless, out in the desert, and being a shepherd, now God is ready to show that uh, he has a plan through him. So, he has to be obedient here. He has to be at the right place and the right time. That's all Moses has to do. Be obedient, be at the right place, right time. The Lord has made an announcement. Now, that was back in verse 10. And this is where we finished off last week. Come now, therefore, and I'll send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses saw the burning bush, and that's what God finishes up with at the end of verse 10. And so that's where we pick that up into verse 11, and we get Moses' response. I'm going to be the one to take the nation of Israel out of Egypt? You've got to be kidding. Must be mistaken. You would have thought that Moses would be chomping at the bits here, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think, oh, right. It's about time. I'm ready. Let's go. God gives him some great news here. I'm going to use you to bring them out. The promise of redemption is the whole idea here. And this redemption story goes back to Genesis. Back to Genesis, well, let's go to chapter 15. When we have the promise from God to Abraham, in verse 13, God makes a covenant with Abram. And this is the covenant that's made when Abram is asleep. There has been a divine anesthetic that God gave to Abram, and that's why he's asleep. And that means God is the one who's going to cut this covenant and make the agreements. This is a unilateral, unconditional covenant that is made uh, from, from God to, to Abram. Usually you have two parties and they're making the agreement. Well, God is making the agreement here. This shows you how sovereign God is. At the same time, He's going to tell him what's going to happen to the nation that comes out of Abram's loins. Here He says in verse 13, He said to Abram, Know certainly, know this for sure, without a doubt, that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Going to be there in that time. 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. That's a prophecy given by God way before it happened. You're talking hundreds of years here, aren't you? And I think at this time, there isn't even a nation of Israel. God is just making promises to Abram, and we haven't even had Isaac yet. Do you think this is awesome? This is a tremendous book that we read. There's a prophecy uh, that is fulfilled in the sense that this happened. In history, we can look back and see that there was this nation and, and they were in Egypt for those years. Fascinating. So Moses is the one that God's going to use after this promise has been done all that time. Is God in certain absolute control? He tells him, this is what's going to happen. He, he questioned God's wisdom. Moses does here, though. Not once, but five times. Moses was, I think you could say, he was very learned, highly educated, uh, very experienced. But he thinks this is impossible. There's no way this can happen. I'm going to have to go to the Pharaoh. God said, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And in verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to 
Pharaoh. The leader of Egypt, you might as well say the leader of the number one nation in all the world, the whole empire there. And I'm going to go to Pharaoh. Right. After I, you know, yeah, I was raised up in the palace. Possibly, right? But it's been 40 years since I've been there. And I'm just going to walk up there to this different Pharaoh. I don't even know who he is. And I'm going to go up there and tell him I'm going to be taking the people out of here. Would you, what would you be thinking if God told you that? Uh, well, this is impossible. Well, after the fact of the matter, we could say, oh yeah, this is absolutely possible because we know God and God can do that kind of thing, so therefore He's going to do it. This is quite a, quite a remark that He comes up with. He probably is wondering, how can I get an audience with the king? How am I going to be able to do these things? I don't have access Israel might not even accept me. How do we even know that? All these things are going through his mind. He didn't know he could do this. He has no idea what uh, God has in mind of, of, of doing this, but surely you're making a mistake here. Now, there might be some true humility here by Moses saying, oh, you know, I, I can't do it. Who am I to do this? You know, I am not worthy to do this. I think there's probably some sense of that. And that's good, you know, rather than just shouting out boldly and that you're going to do something and not really knowing or even thinking how it's going to be done. But he knew how difficult this was going to be to go all the way back there and try to pull that off. And I have to wonder if maybe there's a little bit of stubbornness in Moses as you trace through these five. Um, thoughts that God has for him to do and then he comes back and questions God. Can we identify with this Moses at all? Can, have you ever been there? Yeah, thought of uh, things that you should be doing in, in the Lord and um, certainly it's not for me. I, I can't do that. This is not my personality. I, I can't handle this. Well, reluctance sometimes I, I believe also is a perfectly normal Reaction. By the way, Moses is not the only individual that's ever been reluctant when the call of God has happened. It appears throughout Scripture. Many occasions, God calls His men. They see how holy He is. And that's the first thing that God did when He had Moses come to that bush. You can't do anything in, in God's will unless you recognize that He is a holy God. And we are not. Take off your sandals. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Uh, I want you to know who you're talking to here. So we have to have a high view of God. And then once having that, then being able to listen to Him. But I think we, re- we see repeated denial throughout all the Bible where there is questioning and, and pleading. Moses says, who am I? It sounds humble. I think it's an inappropriate question. Who am I? I think he's asking the Lord something here that he really should have said something like, whatever you want, Lord, I'll do it. I don't know what you have in mind, how you have in mind, but I'm available. I'm just a flammable burning bush. You know, just just light the match and and just light me up and, and I'll go. You have to keep me alive. You know, isn't that what he did with the burning bush? Just uh, an old bush out in the desert, nothing special about it. God puts it on fire and keeps it going. That's a miracle. That's quite a sign that Moses is already seeing. And so with seeing that and then seeing the holiness of God, maybe he should have thought like what Paul thought in 2 Corinthians 12.9. You guys familiar with that passage? Here's a good way to respond to living out the Christian life. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my affirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The weaker that we see ourselves, the more power that God is glorified in. 
So when we recognize our weakness in our flesh and then just let God do that, so it's like saying, God, I don't know how this can happen, but I'll, I'll tell you, just use me, whatever it is. It's, it, I'm totally empty. I'm an empty vessel. I'm a, I'm a jar of clay. And you come in, you fill me up, you do whatever you're going to do. So Moses was correct when he was thinking that he could not do this because he couldn't. Nobody can. Nobody can do anything with, uh, really, truly in, in the Lord's will without recognizing their weakness and then letting His power come in. It's all the power of God and you don't want to mix your power with, with the power of God. The point is, is that, that He's not the one who is going to save. It is God. Moses is not going to save those people. He's just an instrument to be bringing them out. God is greater than all our inadequacies. Inadequacies. Hard word to say. That's the first part there. His own inadequacy. He looks at his status. Who am I? Uh, How could I ever do this? And God is much greater than all of the weaknesses that we have. God's going to work His might through whomever He chooses, whenever He wants. And He will do it. And He already has. You've gotten to the point of where you're at in your Christian walk, not because of your great will, but because of God's will working in you. And yes, there is a a sense of surrender to that, of saying, yes, I do want to follow that. There is obedience, we know that. But it's still Him. So he has no power. He's saying that to God. And he's supposed to bring forth the children of Israel there in that verse 11 it says. Would Moses be left out to dry with his own abilities? Would God tell him to do those things and then say, okay, Moses, let's see what you can do and just back off. Would God ever do that? When you see him in in the truth of Scripture... Every time that that happens, He's always there. God would go with Moses and that would make all the difference. Make every difference. Without God's presence, what are we? We're nothing. Without God's presence, Moses could not do it. It'd be dust and ashes, wouldn't it? He gets all the glory or, or, or nothing at all. right? All the glory to God. So God is giving Moses a chance here to truly learn that he was not strong enough. It's a lesson to show that, yeah, you are not strong enough. And it's out of weaknesses that God will make him strong. So, about the objection, here's the answer. God comes back in verse 12 and He said, I'll certainly be with you. I'll certainly be with you. God has the answer to all the objections. This is amazing to see the patience that God has here. It, throughout all the questioning that, that Moses is doing, God comes back, gives the answer. By the time of the fifth question is raised, God is starting to get a little angry. But He um, has patience. And wouldn't you say that that's what happens to us? We don't obey Him like we really should. And He's still patient. He's there. So this is what we need to realize all the time, every moment, that God is there. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what is happening in our lives, God is always with us. I will be with you. Uh, That's what verse 14 is going to be saying, and we'll get to that answer. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Uh, I am has sent me to you. You know, I'll be there. When you go there, I'm there. All the time. I will be with you. I am, is what he's going to get into here. Um, We're still working out of verse 12, Lord. Look in Joshua, chapter 1, verse 5. This is the successor of Moses. Joshua's the captain. He's going to take over. God tells Moses this. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Does everybody here know that? 
You know it. But why do we forget it? Why, whenever certain times come up in our own lives, that we kind of forget about that? Well, we have to be reminded. Look in Isaiah chapter 41 and in verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Who's doing it? God. Well, he gets all the glory, doesn't he? Chapter 43, verse 5. Isaiah. Fear not, for I am with you. I'll bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. Fear not. Matthew 28.20 And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Fear not, I'm with you. Oh, boy. Good to be reminded of that. Now we go back to our Exodus passage in verse 12 and he says, this shall be a sign to you. And uh, this could be rather difficult in interpreting it. Because uh, you're wondering which sign. Because he says, I will certainly be with you and this sign shall be to you that I have sent you. Then it has a, a colon there. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. It could be a theophany at Mount Horeb. That's where God is uh, going to have Moses bring the people. And so that could be a sign. The NIV uh, actually interprets it that way. As the Israelites will worship God on Mount Horeb after they have come out of Egypt. Uh, there could be a problem with that, and maybe not necessarily, but uh, a problem can arise and that won't be validated until after the Exodus. And there's going to be a lot of signs even before that. Maybe that's the major sign when wherever Moses is at right now, in that area, he says... Those people are going to be standing right here too, away from Egypt. So that could be the sign. Um, another one is the sign might be the bush itself. And the way that Hebrew reads, it can be either or here. It could be the fact that that bush is still burning. Moses has been out there talking with God. And this sign is ever going to be with him. I know one thing. You think he was ever going to forget this? He's never going to forget this whole meeting with God and how it started with uh, the bush just burning and not burning up. It uh, didn't consume itself. So God is giving a confirmation. Either way, the fact of the matter is, is that God is going to do His work and it's going to be unmistakable whether it's this sign that the people will be there later or whether it's that bush. I've always wondered. I've gone back and forth. I go, hey, you know, could be both. Could be one or the other. Thing is, we throw them out there and say, hey, God validates Himself, doesn't He, to Moses. Moses should not be questioning Him just for the fact that the bush has been there and He's talking to him. Well, that's the answer that God gives him in verse 12. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Verse 13. Objection number 2. What, isn't this enough? Moses, don't you get it? <laughs> We'd be right there with him. Sounds like I'm blasting Moses all over the place. The great man of faith, Moses. And we see everything just out in front of us there. God lets it bear there, this great man. That's why the Scripture is true. It shows the fallacies and the weakness of mankind. If this were a book written by man, they wouldn't want to show the errors and, and uh, the things that look negative that great men of God like Moses and Abraham. They wouldn't want to expose them, would it? Just another thing I threw in there. That was free. Okay. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Okay, indeed, when I, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, well, what is his name? Well, what shall I say to them? His first objection was, I don't think I can do this. Me? Now, the second objection is, no one else will think that I can do this thing. <laughs> 
I don't think I can do it. And God gives his answer and he says, well, I don't think anybody else is going to follow that though. <laughs> Moses is concerned about the lack of qualifications. And you know what? None of us are qualified. Nobody is qualified. I don't care how many years you've been to seminary and, and all that. You're still not qualified. But you have the power of God. You have Jesus Christ. That is the qualification. You can do these things. So he's perceived, he's thinking that the, the Israelites would uh, perceive of him as being some old man, some 80 year old man come up there and saying, hey, I want you guys to follow me. We're getting out of here. And, and I'm sure he's, you know, I mean, how are you going to get that into their minds? What credentials does Moses have? The, the 40 years have already gone. I mean, he could say, hey, I, I was the prince and everything. You have the prince. And, he, and he's probably still looking like a shepherd when he gets there. And uh, so anyway, uh, maybe Moses is asking for his own benefit here too. Um, what, what's your name? What should I say to them? Moses wanted to say something great to them. I don't think that they have forgotten about God, although they are in a land of pagan idolatry and there are all sorts of gods all around. And I don't doubt that many of them had um, maybe gone into idolatry or at least in the sense in their own minds and many had gotten away. But I think the story of redemption and God and the covenant that had been promised all the way back to Abram and even all the way back to Adam and Eve... I think they know some of that story somehow, some way. Uh, Moses wants to give the full instructions. He wants the full instructions from God. Okay, uh, what's your name? God comes back with this great reply, a great answer. And God said to Moses, these are all capital letters, by the way. You see them there in Scripture. I am who I am. Every letter there. I am who I am. Now, the purpose of verse 14 and 15, and I'll read that. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. The purpose of verse 14 and 15 is not introducing a new name. This name has been known. He's presented Himself all the way through history up to um, 1500 B.C. here. But God is underlining the whole precise identity of who He is and who is now speaking to Moses. This is the God that you've always heard about that made the great promise to Abraham. And I want you to know, the one you're speaking to, you're listening to right now, that's me. God is leaving no doubt in the mind of Moses who this is. I am that I am. Yahweh. Or something like that. We don't even know today how it's pronounced. We know that you have the English or Germanic um, idea of Jehovah, but that really is not an option. That's transliterated and it's put into the English finally, and they didn't have that sound. It would be something like Yahweh. We, they didn't have the vowels, they had a tetragrammaton, Y H W H, and you could put vowels in there and change that. Uh, for the most part, uh, basically what you hear from our scholars today, they will say Yahweh, but then they'll qualify that and say, but we still don't even know how to pronounce it. It was because the Hebrew people uh, took the Word of God so literal in that sense that they were never to pronounce the name of God. And whenever they would um, come up to the word Lord, which we would have in our English Bibles, L-O-R-D, all capital letters, they'd pronounce it as Adonai. And that's a different term for God. Uh, that's one of His duties. He is, he is Lord. Matter of fact, that is His name, isn't it? He is Lord. But uh, this other Lord, the capital letters, is something that is more precise in who He is. 
I am who I am. The very characters in Hebrew that spell out the name will say Yahweh. And God is saying this, the only self-existent, infinite being in all the universe has dispatched you, Moses, to go out and do this job. This is a self-existent one, the only one, the eternal, infinite God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is sending you to do this. I am that I am. Moses knows what this means. You tell him that. When you get there, you tell him this. You tell him, I am has sent you. Wow. Uh, Yahweh, by the way, is the most intimate term for God in the Hebrew language. Both Yahweh and I am are derived from the same root in the Hebrew. So we can narrow that down to that. He's the self-existent one. He exists. I mean, nobody created him. He didn't create himself. He's always been here. He's eternal. He's unchangeable. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. God reveals himself to John in a way that John had not seen him before like this. And John had seen Jesus. And he says this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Alpha and Omega, the Almighty, who is, who was, who is to come, beginning and the end. He's always been here. The eternal God, the infinite God, the great Creator. And He's speaking to Moses right there. And he's saying, I am. He's eternal. He's unchangeable. He's faithful. And he is true. And that's what God puts forth here. My name is forever. And this memorial to all generations. Whatever I have said, everything that I'm going to do, you can count on it, Moses. The I am. This is the best that he could have given as far as his name is concerned. God has a lot of names. Now, uh, this can be, can be converted over to the book of John. The book of John is a great book for the deity of Christ. Jesus is presented by the Apostle Matthew in many different ways, through the seven signs, at least, maybe eight, however you want to count them. Also, seven I am statements. One of them is... I am the bread of life. I am. John's saying that He is God. Jesus is God. The deity is being presented. I am the bread of life. That's quite a statement. Did I say Matthew? Sorry about that. Yeah, book of John. Well, we, what do you expect? We were in Matthew for how many years? <laughs> I'm still stuck on Matthew. Thank you. Book of John. And uh, later on, we see Jesus say, I am the light of the world. He is the light. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. I am. Before Abraham was, I am there's the Yahweh. That is the Lord. So here we have Jesus showing that He is the I Am. He is this eternal existent God, self-existent. So Yahweh is not a new name. I am Yahweh. I'm the God of the patriarchs. The one you've heard is who you are now talking to. The one you've heard about can you imagine this? I don't know what Moses was thinking when he heard this, but I'm sure that he felt like falling on his face. This was the God of the patriarchs, and he's speaking to me. Verse 16. What God does for a few moments is continue with his instructions, and that Moses was going to be successful going to be able to, to pull this off. Of course, at the end of that, that little uh, 
uh, instruction time, Moses is going to come back with a, another question. But let's pick it up, verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice. And you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I'll give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be. When you go, that, you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely, of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God tells him, first thing I want you to do, when you get there, is go to the elders. They're representing the nation of Israel. That's probably good people to go to. They probably have some say-so over the rest of the, the people. And maybe somebody, it just occurred to me, might have some kind of access to the Pharaoh. If you're an elder, you're a leader of Israel, maybe there's a, a kind of a go-between here. Maybe they would help. I don't know. I just threw that out. Possibility, though. Now, he has to deal with the elders first. So he said, uh, go to them, and they're going to pay attention to what you're saying. They're going to take heed to it, and don't worry about it. They'll accept you, Moses. And they're going to believe God is going to deliver them. Just like that. So he has his relationship with them. And uh, by the way, God does tell him there, go uh, and gather the, in verse 16, gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers. There, there's the name of God. Your capital L-O-R-D, right? There's the I Am right there. There is the Yahweh. There is the self-existent God. There's the great covenant God. And so he names his name. The Lord God. So he recognizes, he just doesn't say God here, but he says the Lord. This is Yahweh. The, the one true God. A lot of gods out there, but this is the one. So now he he deals with the elders, and then he will deal with the Pharaoh, and he takes the elders with him. At least that's what God commands him to do, right? Then they'll heed your voice, verse eighteen. You shall come, and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt. You shall say to him, the Lord God, Yahweh God, that self-existent God, that one and and true, the only God. Pharaoh had a lot of gods, right? The God of the Hebrews has met with us. God met with us. Yeah. And he says this. I think it's fascinating. He says, please uh, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, to Yahweh, our God. Uh, Can you give us three days? What's that three days mean? That three days' journey? Well, first of all, let's look at this power of God says in verse 19 but I am sure this is what God says when God is sure he is certain isn't he but I am there's I am hey, that's pretty neat. I am sure that the king of Egypt he'll not let you go no way that's not going to happen I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and you're going to tell him that uh, God is saying that people are going to have to go And I want to tell you, Moses, he's not going to let him go. Why am I going there? I'm sure he's thinking there. What? Then verse 20, though. 
so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders. Ah, the mighty hand of God. You have to think of the mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Has anybody heard that phrase before? You've read it before? You've, you've sung it, right? Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and let's look at those great promising verses there. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Boy, the power of the king is nothing compared to this king, huh? This Yahweh. Deuteronomy 4.34 Or did God ever try to go and take for Himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Now in this section, he's saying, beware of idolatry. You get into that land of Canaan, uh, they have their idolatry there, and I want you to be careful. Watch out, because you too will be tempted by the world. Uh, You can take this spiritually too. We live in this world, and we are approached by the world every day and all that it has to offer. And it would love to encircle us and just take us in. And he says, hey, I want you to remember God who had a mighty and an outstretched arm, who had the power to take a whole nation of two million folks and take them up to this land here. Take them out of that great empire. Is that power? And he reminds them of that. How about chapter 5, verse 15? He says it again. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is dealing with the Ten Commandments section here in Deuteronomy. So when you see what God has done for you, then what comes into play? Obedience. It's the way it is in Paul's epistles. First three chapters, he shows you who God is, what He's done, who you are in Him. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, I beseech you now, brothers, to live a godly life. Right? basically what he's saying. Book of Romans. You have 11 chapters of doctrine and then boom, in chapter 12, therefore I beseech you, offer up to yourselves a living sacrifice. Renew your mind. Be in the Word of God, right? Follow these commands. So, here's the outstretched arm. If God did that, here's what you do through His power that He's given. Now, Pharaoh is not going to listen. Obviously, he has his own little mighty hand, but a mighty hand from God is going to compel him. And finally, after much time, at least as far as the signs went, God would stretch out his hand by these series of wonders and then finally the Passover. And then finally the crossing of the Red Sea. And There's the army that's drowned in that that Red Sea. What an assurance had been given by God to Moses. Not only would the Israelites listen to him, but the king of Egypt would finally listen to him too after balking around for a while. He says, this is what's going to happen. You're not going to believe this. I know. This is what's going to happen. He's going to fall in line. He's going to do what I tell him to do. Now, God could have said, I want you to go down there and then did all the miracles, but not tell him. Here's what I want you to do, Moses. But he didn't. He could have said, that's it. You just do it. But he did tell him, Pharaoh's not going to listen, but he will eventually. So, you know, the Pharaoh was forced by God to do what he did and to finally give it up. Great promises. Great promises we have. Three-day journey, it seems contradicting. I bet every one of you have asked, 
wait a minute. God tells him to take the people out. What is this, a a three-day journey and then they come back to Egypt and then later they'll leave? Have you ever thought of that? I don't get it, right? It sounds like it's contradicting what the promises of deliverance were. But God never contradicts Himself, does He? Never, ever. Uh, They were, were to worship at Horeb. We know that. And they were to enter into Canaan. That's what God's plan is. It seems there is a tension. And if you look at verse 8 of Exodus 3, it says, So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the places of the, those people. Verse 10, Come now therefore and I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 17, And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of... And on milk and honey. They don't give the idea that a three-day journey is really what God has in mind. But it does seem to imply that they will return to Egypt, doesn't it? It seems that they would return back. I don't think that's what God has in mind. But it could be through the intention to leave and not return on the part of the Israelites. That's the intention. This will prove who Pharaoh really is. He wasn't even going to be willing to even let them go on a three-day journey, whether he's thinking they're going to come back or not. What Moses is really saying is that, listen, we're taking the people and we're taking them out. You go three days away. To worship That's a long way away. You're saying, we've got a head start on you and we are out of here. And I think he said what God had told him to do, but there's this three-day thing and it shouldn't cause any problem there, but it, you know, it, it seems problematic. But um, the, definitely the intention is that they're, they're leaving, not coming back. And uh, he's not going to let them go to fulfill their responsibilities to God. So in his sense, he wasn't even going to let them go for a a little bit. He wouldn't even do that. He's not going to let them go for a day. Now, there's another thing about this. Another solution to this three-day journey would be that it's a lengthy journey, which would be enough time to get where they need to go for their worship without necessarily implying a return trip. They're not, and so three-day journey is not saying we're coming back, but it's saying that's far. That gives us a plenty of time to get out where we want to go. Give us, you know, that we're going to take a three-day journey. And it's going to be more than that. But they never, he never really is, is telling them that we're coming back though either. So that's what I always wanted. Three-day journey does that mean you come back and then later on you go? Uh, no, Pharaoh was not going to let them go. The intention here is to break gently Israel's plan uh, to Pharaoh. And rather than being blunt and saying, hey, we're leaving for Canaan and we were never going to come back. I want you to know that, Pharaoh. We're leaving. And that's kind of what he's saying, but he's not saying it as bluntly as that. Uh, But that is a, you know, I think that's a reasonable request as we get this. So he's saying what God has told him to do. But Pharaoh is not willing to even let them go do a, a, a celebration with God, a worship of God. We have to think that Moses went to Pharaoh, asked God's full demand and release of the Jews. The Israelites are not going to go away empty-handed either. God even says, I've got this all planned out. Don't worry about it. You're going to have to have things when you go out there in that desert. You don't, you don't really own anything because you're slaves, Right? So to go out in the desert, empty-handed, with nothing, God says, by the way, gold, silver, clothing. Clothe, clothe the children, and by the way, those shoes that you guys wear, they're never going to wear out. We don't get that here, but 40 years, those shoes never wore out. That's an incredible thing. too. Well, if God can do those ten miracles, if He can do that burning bush, He can sure keep those uh, shoes from wearing out. We're doing good for our shoes to last, what, a year? About four months. <laughs> Made them good back then, right? Well, anyway, they, they're to get this. And, you know, being slaves and never being paid, 
it seems like they're getting a payment for all those years they were in captivity and in and being in Egypt. They're getting their payback. They're going to need these things out there. They're going to need gold and silver uh, to build the tabernacle. God has everything lined out, mapped out. All they have to do is just say, yes, God. And then do what He says. And they did. Because um, it, it says, uh, back to our Exodus 3, as we're closing out this chapter now, to God says, I'll stretch out my, uh, my right hand. I'll strike Egypt, all the wonders. Verse 21, and I will give this people favor. I'll give them grace. I'm going to give them in the sight of the Egyptians. They're going to see this. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. What you want to do is go to a neighbor and get the gold and silver and uh, clothing. Get that from them. And you say, yeah, I'm sure that's going to happen. They're just going to give all their money and the clothing to them. Well, we've gone through the plagues. The plagues, the frogs, uh, the lice, uh, on and on and on. And now the Passover, the firstborn. Just take this. Yes, you can have all. Take it all and just get out of here. I've had enough. Go. Just leave. Never come back. <laughs> Take every, anything you want. And so they, they plundered the Egyptians. They're slaves. And God is getting them out of there and with things that they need. God cares for His people. These are things they're going to need in the wilderness. God says, here's what you're going to need. I'll take care of you and do the rest. They got their back wages. God told... Abraham back in Genesis 15:14 and this is one of the verses that we started off with and this was a promise this is what we're to do is count on the promises that God gives and I and also the nation whom they serve I will judge it's Egypt I'm going to judge them afterward they shall come out with great possessions this is spoken of over 400 years ago it happened. And that just showed was it God's will that they be imprisoned? Yes. Was it God's will that Joseph was put in jail? Well, ultimately it is. The providence of God worked through all that. It's a great providential story. Uh, what can we say of that? Well, what Joseph said. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And here is Moses, a great illustration of what it's like to be a servant of God. But we're working in the midst of this. He is having to work this out, trying to get it in his own mind what is going on. And God is very, very generous. God is very merciful. God is very patient. And we'll continue on with this next week. Um, It's all practical, isn't it? And it's something that uh, we should see the nature of God being involved with. Let's uh, take a few moments to pray.